Father, we thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to study your word. Father, it is rich, it is deep, and there are so many different things, Lord, that we need to understand and we need to realize. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a great insight into these things and help us to uh, know how to live them out uh, in a way that honors and glorifies you and that exalts Christ. So it is in his name that we pray. Amen. America has a lot of laws. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. And any American law uh, can be anything as big as don't commit triple homicide to something as you know small as don't sing happy birthday in public because it's actually copyright. I don't know if you guys know that. The happy, the happy birthday song is copyrighted. Oh, it's not anymore. That, that must have been just recently. Okay. So... Well, it used to be a law, so you couldn't sing it in public, technically, or else you could get fined or something. It was ridiculous, but it's true, <laughs> I guess. Uh, it would take you months to sift through all the different laws in the, in the American law system. Like, it's just there's so many different laws. Uh, but here's what's even more daunting than that. Try to get through all the separate laws of all 50 states. There's a, uh, yeah, there, every state has its own unique sets of laws and uh, that, ci- that their citizens must follow. For example, California has special laws just for Californians. You know, there's just, there's unique laws. And so th- there's a lot of laws. There's a ton. And laws are designed to keep order and ensure justice. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the intent of them. And so in, most laws make sense. They, they, it's like, okay, you know, don't kill somebody. You know, like that, that totally makes sense. But there are some laws out there that just kind of make you scratch your head and be like, what? Like, what is that? And I want to give you the 20 most ridiculous state laws out there, okay? The, these are the 20 most that I can find, um, 20 most ridiculous ones. All right, so in Alabama, you can't wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. I, what? Alabama. I don't know why. I don't know why that is, but apparently it's a law. So most of these, I think, are older laws that just have, have yet to be changed. So uh, in Alaska, if you see a sleeping bear, it's illegal to wake it up for a photo op. Well, that, that goes without saying, you know. I, who would do that? But In Arizona... Donkeys can't sleep in bathtubs. <laughs> I, you, you know, like these, some of these laws were made because someone broke them, right? I mean, that's, you know, or someone did it. So, uh, in Arkansas, you're not allowed to pronounce Arkansas incorrectly. You can't pronounce it Arkansas. You guys know how you spell Arkansas, right? Arkansas. Okay. It's got to be Arkansas. It, I actually, some of these, I don't know if they're true or not, but I checked up, checked up on a lot of them, and, a, and I think almost all of these are true. So I'm not, I'm not just like, you know, making stuff up here. Uh, in California, no vehicle without a driver may exceed 60 miles per hour. I don't know how that ever happened, but okay. In, in Florida, if an elephant is left tied to a parking meter, the parking fee has to be paid just as it would be for a vehicle, okay? So uh, some kind of circus in the area, I guess. I don't know. 
In Kentucky, a person can't dye ducklings, baby chicks, or bunnies. So you can't like dip them in dye and, and give them a different color, sh uh, shade of color or something like that. So I don't know. In Maine, it's illegal for Christmas decorations to be still up after January 14th. Sorry. If you've got it up after January 14th, you're done. So, uh, In Massachusetts, you can't own an explosive golf ball. created that. Uh, in Michigan, a woman isn't allowed to cut her own hair without her husband's permission. I don't know why that is, but that must have been a really old law. So that's Michigan. Sorry, ladies. Don't move to Michigan, I guess. All right. Um, in Missouri, one cannot drive with an uncaged bear. Uh, in Montana, Seven or more Indians are considered a raiding or war party, and you can shoot them. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Yeah, this, they're still they're still around. It's just no one really knows they exist. So, uh, in Nebraska, whale fishing is illegal. Think about that for a second, okay? Here's here's why that's weird, okay? This is America. Here's Nebraska, okay? Whale fishing. Okay. I look so much like America. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you just got to draw like a big square and then Texas. So. All right. Uh, North Dakota. Beer and pretzels cannot be served at the same time. I don't know why. That's just beer and pretzels at the same time. You can't serve them at the same time. It's like, it's like in uh, Israel. You can't have cheese and meat at the same time. So what? Uh, that's in North Dakota. Don't worry, no one's ever going to go there. So, who knows? Like, North Dakota is always the forgotten state. So, uh, Ohio, it's illegal to get a fish drunk. I don't know how you do that. I guess you just replace the fishbowl with beer or something. And, um, Pennsylvania, it's a crime to tell a fortune teller where to dig for buried treasure. Uh, in South Dakota, you can't sleep in a cheese factory. Uh, what? what? Uh, in Utah, it's illegal to cause a catastrophe. Well, duh. But what are you talking about? That's Utah, Utah. Uh, Washington, all lollipops are banned. Washington. No, uh, state, I think. Yeah, Washington State. Uh, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> West Virginia. Roadkill may be taken home for dinner. <laughs> so. <laughs> so there are a lot of crazy laws out there, right? And some of these laws, some of these crazier laws just go to show you that uh, the laws in each state are different. They're different. Now, some overlap, but there are differences in the laws. And there are some laws in some states that other states don't have. So like California has certain laws that Arizona doesn't have, and Arizona has certain laws that California doesn't have, okay? And that's because each state has authority over its own citizens, okay? Now, I'm going to teach you a big word today. Big word, not Arkansas. Something different. I'm going to teach you a big word today, okay? And it is this. Jurisdiction, okay? Jurisdiction. This... When, 
When a state has authority over its own citizens, that's what's called jurisdiction. They have jurisdiction over their citizens. Uh, jurisdiction is basically just the extent of a government's power or authority. Uh, in other words, how far does a government's power actually reach, okay? So, like, you know, with California, you know, uh, does it have a th jurisdiction over those people in Arizona? The answer is no. It's only got jurisdiction over these people, okay? So laws don't apply here. California laws don't apply in Arizona, okay? That's how that works. So that's jurisdiction. Uh, another example here is uh, in California, our state government only has power over the people who live in California. And so they only have jurisdiction over California citizens. But in Oregon, their state government only has power over the people who live in Oregon, okay? So, so that's kind of how that works. And so, you know, like I have an example here, like, you know, welcome to Oregon, welcome to California here, right? So what this means is that Oregon state law doesn't have jurisdiction if you live in California because you're not a citizen of Oregon. So an Oregon law is not going to apply to you. At the same time, California state law doesn't have jurisdiction over Billy Bob who lives in Oregon, okay? Because he's not a citizen of California. So let's get a little more practical here. Uh, in, in Ohio, it's illegal to get a fish drunk, okay? So police in Ohio can't come to your house and arrest you for getting a fish drunk. That's just not going to happen because you don't live in Ohio. It's, they don't have jurisdiction over you. But in California, it's illegal to have any vehicle moving at speeds over 60 miles per hour or more without a driver in the, in the front seat there. So if you decided to strap rockets to your parents' van <laughs> and light a match and watch it break the sound barrier down your neighborhood street, all the while while you, you know, enjoy the view from your front lawn with a bag of popcorn, then, well, the police technically have the right to arrest you for that, okay? So, or to give you some kind of a, a fine. Uh, California has jurisdiction over Californians. Texas has jurisdiction over Texans. Alabama has jurisdiction over Alabamians, okay? So, uh, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. It says this, Sin should not reign over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under law. Last week, we dove headfirst into the Ten Commandments, right? And we began to look at the first commandment from the Old Testament. Well, today, we want to see the first commandment from the New Testament. But first, I want you to see something from Romans 6.14. We have a problem here because it says you are not under law. You are not under the law. For the last two to three months, I've been preaching to you about the Ten Commandments. And I've been making the claim that the Ten Commandments are practical for your life. They actually impact the way you live your life. Uh, they're important for your Christian walk. But Romans 6.14 hands us a problem. 
it says you are not under the law. You're not under the law. In other words, this is saying the Old Testament law, yes, even the Ten Commandments themselves have no jurisdiction over you. They have no jurisdiction over you. They don't apply to you. You're not responsible to do the Ten Commandments. You don't have to live them out. You don't have to obey them. That's the idea here. And so we kind of run into a problem here. Uh, and, uh, you know, you might be asking yourself, like, really? Like, is that true? I, you know, I thought we were supposed to do the Ten Commandments. Well, if you think about it, the way our state laws work, you are a citizen of Christ. You're a citizen of Christ. You live in the kingdom or the state that is ruled by Christ, in a, in a sense, okay? Let me kind of, uh, you know, make, try to make this clear for you, okay? So here's you. You're smiling because you're a Christian. So you're underneath, you're underneath the jurisdiction of Christ, okay? That's how this works. And you are a, what's called a Christian, okay? Hence a Christian, you, you identify with Christ, okay? So you're in his kingdom, his, his realm, okay? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The Ten Commandments, and I'll just erase this word here. The Ten Commandments were designed, were created underneath the realm or the kingdom of Israel. So here's like an Israelite. And he's just kind of so-so because sometimes he's good and sometimes he's bad. But he's an Israelite, okay? So what? <laughs> that, see, that, that's part of his problem. He's just, it, it, life is hard for him, okay? So uh, he didn't obey God, and so his, God broke his legs. Uh, but there's this problem here where you live in a different kingdom, in a sense, as a Christian. You don't, you're not an Israelite. The Ten Commandments really don't apply to you, okay? They're different. And so do you see the problem here? Why should a Christian have to follow the rules of an Israelite? Why? Why should a citizen of Christ have to live out the rules of a citizen of Israel? That doesn't actually make any sense. That's like me forbidding you from getting a pet goldfish and getting it drunk. Who cares? I don't live in Ohio. I live in California. That's not my problem. It's none of my concern. The Ten Commandments were given to Israel, not Christians. So should the Ten Commandments be your problem then? Do you have to obey them? So we have a problem here. And I want to bring your attention to this problem because before we move forward with looking at the first, ten, uh, the first commandment in the New Testament, we've got to solve this problem. We have to understand why am I supposed to actually like, you know, obey the Ten Commandments or, or, or live out the Ten Commandments when I'm a Christian, I'm not an Israelite, okay? So let me solve it for you. Now, what I'm about to say might be shocking, okay? And it may sound really bad, okay? But hear me out and let me explain myself, okay? Uh, don't walk out on me, okay? <laughs> don't. But here's the answer you are not required to keep the Ten Commandments. You're not. That's right, Evan. Don't walk out on me. You are not required to keep the Ten Commandments. Then what am I doing here? That's the question. Why are we going through this whole topic? Well, let me explain. 
the Ten Commandments do not have any jurisdiction over you because you are not a citizen of Israel. However, there is a law that does have jurisdiction over you, and that law is called the law of Christ. So there was, like back in those days, the law of Moses, which was the, the Old Testament law, which is where we find the Ten Commandments. Today we have what's called the law of Christ. The law of Christ. That's the law. Just because you're not obligated to follow the laws of Ohio doesn't mean that you don't have to follow any laws at all. You live in California, and you have to follow Californian laws. Well, just because you're obligated to live out, you're not obligated to live out the Ten Commandments doesn't mean you don't have laws that you have to obey. You live under the law of Christ, and that law borrows its laws from the Ten Commandments and from the law of Moses. Sure, we're not required to obey even one commandment out of the ten. You don't even have to obey one of them. But guess what? You find all ten commandments repackaged in the New Testament. It's found in the law of Christ. Uh, Galatians 6.2 mentions the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.21, Paul says, To those who are without the law, I became as without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but underneath the law of Christ. James 1.25 calls the law of Christ by a different name. He calls it the perfect law or the law of liberty. Or in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, he calls it the royal law. So the perfect law, the law of liberty, or, or the royal law, these are all synonyms for the law of Christ. And that's the law that has jurisdiction over you, if you are a Christian. That's, that's your Ten Commandments, if you will. And that's my long way of saying that we find the first commandment repeated in the, in the law of Christ. And the question is, where can you find the law of Christ? Where is the law of Christ? Where do you think the law of Christ is? Where can you find it? If I were to tell you, go look up the law of Christ, where would you find it? Are you going to go to the library and is it in some, like, you know, underneath, you know? Yeah. New Testament. New Testament. That's right. It's pretty obvious, I think. But it's in the New Testament. <clears throat> the law of Christ is in the New Testament. So let's look at the first commandment from the New Testament. And here's how I want to do this, approach this this morning, okay? <clears throat> um, so we're going to look at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Oh, how cool that is. Um, <clears throat> we're going to look at an overview first. <clears throat> we're going to look at the first commandment scattered throughout the New Testament from a bird's eye view. That's the first thing we'll do. The second thing we'll do is we're going to take a sample of that overview. We're going to take one passage and put it under the microscope and analyze it, okay? And the third thing we're going to do is, which I am actually really want to get to, is this application. I want to step back and get practical with this, okay? I started doing that last week, but I want to finish what I started. So let's look at this. Uh, let's first take a quick tour through the New Testament and see where the first commandment shows up, okay? There are a lot of places we could go uh, because you shall have no other gods before me. That idea is, is it's such an important part of the Christian life, and it's everywhere in the New Testament. It's everywhere. 
But let me just kind of give you a smattering of examples here. And to do this, I need your help, okay? I need your help. I need four volunteers to read four different passages for us, okay? And here are the passages that we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians 8, Acts 14, 1 Timothy 2, Galatians 4. Can I get four volunteers to read? Okay, one, you can read the first one, 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. Two, Sam, okay, Acts 14, 8 through through 15. All right, yep, Josh, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5. And then the last one, Galatians 4, Lauren. All right, very good, thank you. All right, Evan, go ahead and start us when you're ready. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. Okay, uh, please read aloud, nice and loud, and, and pay attention to what, what's being uh, read here, okay? 4 through 6? Yes. Therefore, as, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be still talking gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Okay, very good. All right, that's, you know, a couple different verses there, and it's kind of weird sounding, but what what's being talked about here is back in those days in the New Testament, there were people who were, who were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And if you think about that, it's like, as a Christian, that sounds really weird. It's like, why would I eat meat that was dedicated to an idol? That's, that sounds kind of bad. And that's kind of the thought that people were having. Like, is that a bad thing? And Paul, who's writing this here, says, that's not a bad thing. It's just meat. Like, you know, as long as you're not, like, like worshiping that idol when you're eating that meat necessarily, it's just meat. Just eat it. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But some people had a hard time disconnecting that in their minds. And they're like, well, is it, am I actually worshiping the idol? And it might actually tempt them to worship the idol if that was their background, if that was what they used to do was worship idols by eating the meat that was sacrificed to them. So, so, they, so there was kind of this problem here. And the idea here, what, what Paul's kind of talking about is, he's like, don't worry about the fact that you know, whether this is sacrificed to an idol or not, those idols aren't real. They're not real. That's really the bottom line. Idols are not real. There's not like real gods that you're worshiping uh, like when, when, um, when you eat that meat. There's no idols. There's only one God. And that's what he says in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. But God, the, you're probably not there, sorry. But, but God, the, but for us, There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. We exist for him. And so the idea here is there are many religions in this world, and there are many gods that people worship, but 1 Corinthians 8 adamantly tells us there is just one God. There's just one God. And this introduces for us the same principle as the first commandment in the Old Testament. You shall have no other gods before me. What's it saying? If there's only one God, just one God, God's highest, that automatically automatically makes him by default the best being in the universe, okay? He's the best. He's He's special. He's unique because he's the only God who exists. 
So like last week, like we said last week, life's about God. Like if he is the only God, if he is the highest authority, if he is the only divine being in the universe, life automatically funnels to him. It's all about him. And that's why 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, everything comes from him, and we exist for him. We exist for him. Our purpose in life centers around him. Life's about God, not just, not just in the Old Testament. Life continues to be about God in the New Testament. So that's the, that, and that's the age that we live in today. This is the era of the church, and this is the area of, his, area of history that we live in today. So, all right, so that's, that's the first passage. Uh, Acts 14. Who has Acts 14? Oh, that's right, Sam. Uh, go ahead and read verses 8 through 15. Eight. Like an A's? Like an A's? Yeah. Yeah. And then this, for God has come down to us in human form, Barnabas they call the Jew, and Paul they call Hermes, Hermes, because he's a Jew speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple is without that of the sea. God holds and wins his angels, because he makes all men of God to testify. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and looked at him and said, Brother, Okay, good, yeah. So I know that's kind of a little bit of a long story there, but here's kind of what's going on. It's actually a very funny story. It's very funny. Like, there's like, okay, we'll, have to, we'll just have to draw this out for a second, all right? I didn't plan on doing this, but it's just really funny. So um, what happens is Paul and Barnabas are, you know, they're, they're two very important people in the, in the early days of the church. They're, they're preaching the gospel in different cities. They're proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. And, you know, Paul and Barnabas are just normal guys. And, you know, they're just kind of, they're just going and preaching and stuff. And what happens is there's this guy who's like, here, we'll do the same thing as before. He's lame, like he can't walk. So he's really sad. And what they do is, in the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they say, you know, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks, okay? So they actually heal this guy. And so this guy gets all, like, really happy, you know, and everything. And here, we'll make him now. Legs all fine, and he's happy. So he's happy now. And, and what happens is there's a bunch of other people who are, like, around them, this crowd. And they see, sorry, they, <laughs> they see this, this guy walk. And they're like, whoa, these two guys are like crazy awesome. And what they think is, what they think happens is they think, hey, this guy Paul is a god that we worship called Hermes. And this guy Barnabas, we'll call him Barney, uh, <laughs> is a guy, is, 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 our, is the chief god named Zeus. And Hermes was like the spokesman for Zeus. Because Paul did all the talking, Barnabas didn't. 
So they're like, this guy must be Hermes, this guy must be Zeus. And so they're like, let's worship these guys. So they're like, like carrying them on their shoulders and stuff and doing like all kinds of crazy stuff. These guys are awesome. So it's like this really crazy, funny story. And Paul and Barnabas are like, what are you doing? Like, we're not, we're not gods. Like, this is crazy. And so all these different people are worshiping all kinds of different gods. That's the idea of what's going on here. But Paul and Barnabas, what do they say in verse 15? They say basically this, that we are just men. We're just men. And we want you to turn from your futile, your worthless way of life that worships all these other gods. And it's worthless because there's no idols. Like there's no actual gods. You're not actually worshiping anything. And he says, turn to the living God as opposed to a dead God which is what you guys are worshiping. Turn to the living God who actually made heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Turn to him. And so again, we have the idea here that you shall have no other gods before me. Well, why? Because there's only one God. There's just one God. And so that's, that's kind of the story of what's going on here. I just want to use that by way of illustration. First uh, Timothy 2.5. Who has First Timothy 2.5? Yeah, Josh, go for it. Very good. Very simple again. There is just one God. And because of that, there's also just one mediator, Jesus Christ, someone who can actually stand between God and man and actually uh, restore our broken relationship with God. Okay? And then Galatians 4. Excellent. So not only are there people that, not, not only is it that people worship other gods, but those gods don't exist. And not only that, but people actually become enslaved to worshiping those gods. Okay, that's going to be an important part that we're going to come back to in just a little bit. But Paul says there, you should not be enslaved to worshiping other gods. You need to be, in, in one sense, enslaved to worshiping the true God. So, okay, now. I bring these to your attention because I just really want to show you how prevalent the first commandment is in the New Testament. It's all over. It's all over the place. And there are even more passages we could look at, but these alone should give you a good idea. You shall have no other gods before me is, just, is not just a commandment for people living in the Old Testament. It's a commandment that carries over into the New Testament, into the law of Christ, okay? So we're about one God. And and because we trumpet just one God as opposed to many, he becomes highest, he becomes special, he becomes unique by default, okay? Life was about God in the Old Testament, life is about God in the New Testament, and life is about God even today. But now let's parachute out of our big picture flyby, and let's drop into one passage for a bit, okay? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to have to move quickly here, but Ephesians chapter 4, and let's, uh, let's start, let's start in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. 
Now, there's going to be a word that shows up over and over and over again in these next couple of verses. And see if you can pick out what that word is. Uh, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What word is repeated over and over again? One. One. It's pretty obvious, right? One. That's an important word here. That's an important word here. Uh, This is all about the centrality of God, that there is only one God. Everything is moving and should be pointed to the one true God. It's all about him. And because there's only one God, there is one church, which, which is what one body means. There is one spirit who is working in the church. There is one hope of our calling. There's just one way to, to be saved. Uh, there's one faith. There's just one faith that we have. When we don't have multiple faiths in multiple different gods. There's one baptism. There's, in a sense, there's one, um, uh, there's one identity that we have in Christ. And that's all predicated on the fact that there's one God and one Father overall, who is overall and through all and in all. So uh, that's what this is talking about here. And, and notice verse 6 here. He says, there is one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. That, kinda, that might sound a little bit familiar because there's, there's other passages that we just looked at that kind of say the same thing. God is overall. What does that mean? He's our ultimate authority. It says that uh, he's through all. What does that mean? Everything happens because of him. He's like, he's the, he's the, he, he's the initiator of everything. And then it says he's over or he's in everything. He's in all. What does that mean? He's, everything is defined by him. Everything is defined by him. So again, because there are no other gods before God, life's about him. He's the source of everything. He's the agent of everything. He's the point of everything. But I want you to notice something else. Uh, this, look at, chap, look at verse, uh, verse 1, actually. Look at verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, encourage you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, why, why did I bring your attention to that? Knowing that there's only one God should change the way you live your life. It should change the way you live your life. If there is only one God, that should prompt you to walk in a manner that is worthy of what God called you to be. A Christian isn't just someone who believes in his head that there's only one God. Okay, there's a difference here. A Christian is someone who actually acts on that knowledge. He actually, be- he actually believes it to the point he's willing to act on it. So the fact that there's only one God changes the way you live your life. And, and how does it do that? That's the question. How does knowing that there's only one, only one God and that he is the highest in your mind, how does that change your life? Do you remember last week and in in weeks prior, we talked about three purposes. There's three purposes to the Ten Commandments. You guys remember what those purposes are? I asked you last time what they were, and we kind of of got it, but do you remember now? Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry? 
Yeah, yeah, good. So that was the third one, yeah. So shine, shine hope. Shine, uh, shine, uh, basically, yeah, sh shine is a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Very good. Yeah. Okay, good. So that was one. Broadcast who God is and what he's all about. Okay, what was the second one? Yeah. Okay. Show love God by love others. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, very good. So broadcast who God is and what he's all about. Show your love for God by your love for others. Shine is a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Those were the three purposes of the Ten Commandments. And what we find is that those purposes plug into the New Testament as well. They actually carry over. There are specific ways that knowing there's only one God changes your life, and these are the specific ways that they actually change your life. And so let's look at the first one for a second here. Broadcast who God is and what he's all about. And so I think I've got it up here. And look, turn over. We're still in the book of Ephesians here, okay? So notice the idea that there's only one God and that you know there's no other gods before him. That idea is actually going to change the way you live your life. Well, look at Ephesians 5.1. Here's how it changes your life. Just one chapter over. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Here's how the superiority of God impacts your life. Be imitators of who? Who? Who does it say? God. Be imitators of God. You want... Here's another way to say that. Broadcast who God is and what he's all about. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. How do you broadcast who God is and what he's all about? You imitate him. You look like him in the way you live your life. That broadcasts who he is and what he's about. Um, when little kids like to pretend they're superheroes, like, you know, when they're like, they like to pretend they're Spider-Man, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're Batman, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, what do they do? They, they do things that act like the superheroes, right? They, they shoot the webs and they try to fly like Superman or, you know, shoot like Iron Man or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, they do all kinds of stuff, right? They imitate the superhero, right? As a direct result, what are they doing? They're broadcasting that superhero or sorry, who that superhero is and what that superhero is all about. That's what they're doing. It's no different for the Christian. It's no different. You broadcast who God is and what he's all about by imitating him, by imitating him. Well, what, the question is like, well, how do I imitate God? He's, he's so, you know, he's a divine being. He's spirit. He's, he's different from me and all that kind of stuff. Well, there, who has come into this world as God? Who came into this world as God? Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. How do you imitate God? You be like Christ. And we get this kind of term in Christianity called Christ-likeness, you know? Be like Christ, you know? I want to, you know, I want to live like Christ. Well, that's what that's talking about. When you live like Christ, you're imitating God because he is God. So, the, so that's why, like, the, the Bible is so big on you know, be like Christ or imitate Christ, or it says here, imitate God, because Christ is the very image of God. And so when we live like Christ, when we, 
when we, uh, when we are humble and when we are gentle and when we, are, um, when we forgive other people and when we do all the things that Christ did, we are demonstrating Christ. Now, let me look at, let's look at the second purpose here, okay? Show love for God by your love for others. Turn over another chapter to chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 1, the most famous verse in the Bible about parents and children. And if you've grown up in church at all, you probably know it by heart. You probably sing it in your sleep. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We always remember the children obey your parents part, I think, because it's our duty and it's drilled into our, you know, our brains you know, in Sunday school since we were very little, and rightfully so. But I think there are three little words that often get overlooked in this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, there are a lot of names for God in the Bible. A lot of names. You know, he's the Prince of Peace. You know, he's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's God. He's, you know, he's all, the Almighty. There's a lot of names for God. But notice what the name for God is here. It's Lord. Lord. Lord means master. Lord means ruler. Lord means authority. If God is Lord or master over your life, you want to respect that by submitting to your human masters, your parents. That's the whole idea of show your love for God by your love for others. In this case, for the first commandment, it's show your respect for God by respecting the human parents or the human authority of your parents that God has given you. And so Ephesians is very clever here. The same logic of the Ten Commandments that we've been talking about in the Old Testament is found here, built in to the New Testament, into the law of Christ. Okay? So you show your respect for your ultimate master by respecting your human masters, your, your parents, or even by extension, just, you know, your teachers or, uh, your, you know, the elders in your church or, or just, you know, government or things like that. Okay? But what's the what about the third purpose? What about the third one? Shine hope. Shine is a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Now, flip back to chapter 5 and look at verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. It says, you already know this, that every, uh, that, that no, sorry, that no immoral or unclean or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, stop becoming partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now the light, uh, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is in goodness in righteousness, and in truth. Okay. Where's the first time that we find light mentioned in the Bible? Where do you think? Where's the first time you see light mentioned? Genesis 1. Okay, yeah. What's Genesis 1 about? Yeah, yeah. It's about the, the beginning of creation, the, the, the beginning of the world, right? Very good. 
Where's the first time that you find fruit in the Bible? Genesis, Genesis right? Where Adam and Eve took the fruit off the, the tree and ate it, right? Well, notice this phrase here in verse 9. The fruit of light. The fruit of light. What should that remind you of? Genesis, the, the creation story that God created the world. And it's like, well, who cares? Well, why, why would that remind me of that? You remember several weeks back when I spent an entire sermon walking through creation. Right? I, we talked about here's how God created the world, and here's how the Ten Commandments actually begin to point you back to that story. And the idea behind that was that the Ten Commandments are designed to point you back there to show you that God has a plan to restore, to, to restore this world to the way things were. In other words, there's a plan to show that death and sin is not all there is in this world. The problems of life are going to be solved. Well, what's being said here? The fruit of light is in goodness, righteousness, and truth. When you live out the new commandments of the law of Christ, goodness, righteousness, truth, etc., you point people back to the creation story to show that God has a plan to restore it. That's what you're doing. You actually become a living, breathing time machine, okay? That actually takes people back to the creation story. You are, you show the fruit of your life as light because God wants people to visually understand that he hasn't lost this world to sin and death. So what you do as a Christian is vital. And Ephesians 5 verse 8 gets very specific. He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We just saw that phrase. Where did we see that? Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Is that by accident? No, it's not. The Lord is your master. God is your ruler. God is your authority. Therefore, when you respect his authority, you actually shine as light in this world. You proclaim through your actions that God is about to recreate this world all over again. And here's what's interesting. When you shine as a beacon of hope through your good works today, you announce that God has already started his restoration project. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. You actually become light yourself. It says, it's, you were once darkness, but now you are light. You are light. What was the first thing God created on day one? It was light. It was light. He created light. That was the first thing God created. What's the first thing God's recreating in his new restored creation? Light. Light. And that's you. You are light. You are a sample that God's plan to restore the world is already in play. Your actions have way more weight than you probably ever imagined. You are actually contributing to God's plan that spans all of history if you're a Christian. It's crazy, but it's true. You're a part of it. And so broadcasting who God is and what he's all about, it's here in the New Testament. And showing our love for God by our love for others, it's also in the New Testament. And shining as a beacon of hope in a fallen world, that's also here in the New Testament. All the three purposes that we've been talking about, 
They're here. But, but, where do we go from here? Well, I want to end our time with, with three observations and three challenging questions that go along with them, okay? So, let me begin where I left, off, where I left us all off last week, okay? And that, that is this. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. What do you worship? What do you worship? Last time I took you to Ezekiel 14.3, because we were in the Old Testament, and that says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. In other words, idols don't just come in the form of figurines. I think that's what the way we're used to thinking about it. They're, they aren't just physical objects that you bow down to. Idols always begin in the heart. They always begin in the heart. Sometimes they come out in the form of a graven image, but usually they sit inside you and you worship them from the temple of your heart. Okay? That's why I say everyone worships something, because even though you may not literally be bowing down to a statue, you bow down to something in your heart. And the Old Testament defines idolatry as starting in the heart. But that's not just an Old Testament phenomenon. It's also something that occurs in the New Testament. And we just saw it in Ephesians 5, verse 5, which says, you already know this, that, that no immoral or unclean or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In other words, it, well, what's that saying here? An idolater isn't just someone bowing down to idols. An idolater is someone who commits sexual sin. An idolater is someone who acts in a way that makes him unclean before God. An idolater is someone who has ever had, is is anyone who has ever had a greedy impulse in his life. That's an idolater. If you meet any one of those criteria, you qualify as an idolater. And therefore, you are undeserving of the heavenly inheritance in Christ. You're not going to go to heaven, in other words, if you qualify for that. And if you really think about that, that includes each and every single one of us. Who hasn't had a greedy thought? I mean, seriously, who hasn't coveted in his heart something else? We're all guilty. We're all idolaters. We all worship something. And so it's not a question of if you worship what do you worship? What do you worship? And so that's how I want to challenge you, first of all. What do you worship? What do you worship? Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and something else. Okay? That's how that works. But number two, number two, you are what you worship. You are what you worship. What is your life like now? You are what you worship. Uh, the first message I ever preached here at Grace Bible Church was called You Are What You Worship. Okay? And I'm borrowing that because Psalm 115 talks about idols. Uh, it talks about how you know, uh, there, there are people make idols and they have eyes but they can't see. They have ears but they can't hear. They have noses but they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. You know, it's like an action figure, right? You know, it you know has all the five senses. Well, it has all like you know ears and eyes and all that kind of stuff, but it can't actually sense anything. It doesn't exist. It's dead. 
And it says, those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. That's strange. People actually begin to look like what they worship. It's kind of weird. They like turn into what they worship. And it's kind of strange to think about, but, but if you think about it, it actually makes sense. If you really love and worship something, you'll begin to become like it. You'll begin to imitate it. And here's the crazy thing that Psalm 115 talks about. If, you know, if idols don't have, if idols have eyes, but they can't see, and ears, but they can't hear, and noses, but they can't smell, what are they? They're dead. They're dead. If you worship an idol, which everyone does in his heart, what's going to happen? You're going to become like it, which is dead. Dead. That's the way that works. If you really love and worship something, you'll begin to imitate it. And Ephesians 5.1 kind of challenges with us and says, you need to be different. You need to be someone who is an imitator of God. And why is that so important? Because as the Bible says over and over and over again, when every, every time like the Bible talks about idols and then God together in the same sentence, it always mentions, like almost every single time, that God is the living God, the living God. Why is that? Because idols aren't living. They're dead. And if you choose to walk down the path of worshiping an idol, you're going to end up just like that idol, dead. But if you choose to worship the living God, what are you going to end up like? You're going to be alive. You're going to survive. You're going to find eternal life. And that's what number three is all about. Our God gives our God gives life. Have you turned to the God of life? Ephesians 5.14 actually gives us this idea here. It says everything that is visible is light. Everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Arise, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Arise, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. What's the idea here? That God is the one who gives life, and he gives it through his son, Jesus Christ. In the book of Deuteronomy, after walking through the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that go with them, God presents Israel with two options. Two options. After all the Ten Commandments are done, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you two options, life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live and you and your descendants by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. It's no different today. Our God gives life. First uh, Thessalonians 1 talks about this. You turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. To turn away from idols is to choose life. To turn to God is equally to choose life. Choose life. Embrace Christ if you haven't already. And if you are a Christian, this should be the greatest encouragement and motivation to you 
to continue to live a life that brings glory and honor to God because you have that life. You have that eternal life. And that should motivate you. So the first commandment is front and center in the New Testament. And it has big ramifications for your life. Father, we thank you so much that you have given the opportunity for eternal life. And it's not because we're going to do any good works necessarily. Father, Jesus Christ has done all the good works we need. Lord, we want to respond with good works um, because of the salvation that you've given us. And ultimately, that's all because we believe that Jesus has saved us from our sins. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who hasn't put their faith in Jesus Christ, help them to see the problem with that, that they're heading down a path of death. They're worshiping idols that are dead and, and therefore lead to death. But Father, let us turn to the living God. Let us turn, each one of us, to serve a God who actually makes us alive with, with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage each Christian in this room to be motivated to live a life that speaks life into the lives of other people. And that shows that there is a way that God is going to return everything back to the way it was. We, we champion that hope. And let us be uh, faithful to that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.